0: Welcome to Atmosphere Church. My name is Jim Cruz and I'm the lead pastor. We're a new non-denominational life-giving church located in the Conejo Valley, just west of Los Angeles. Let me just say on behalf of all of us here at Atmosphere, thank you for downloading or streaming this service. We pray that it'll touch your heart and change your life. In addition to bringing you today's service, we want to make ourselves available to you in any way we can. Please leave a comment if you need prayer or if you want to speak with one of our leaders in any struggle that you may be facing right now. We will be sure to respond to anything you need in your life. Here at Atmosphere, we believe that we should never forsake the gathering together with other believers. Don't use this recorded service as your church experience. Get involved in the local church to the extent that the people there know you by name. If you live in the Southern California area, we would love to invite you to be a part of our community. For more information about our church, go to our official webpage at atmosphere.church. Finally, there's a lot of man hours that are put behind making services and resources like this available that are meant to help you grow and develop as a disciple of Jesus Christ. So if this service and our other resources bless you, would you consider giving back to Atmosphere Church to support not just these things, but to also support the creation of even more resources for you and really for others who are also desiring to grow in their faith. To make a financial donation, simply click on the link on our site that says donate and your gift of any amount is greatly appreciated remember when you give to atmosphere church you're actually giving through atmosphere to change lives in our church in our city and literally around the world we've already prayed for you that today's message would speak directly to your heart and empower you to live the life that god has called you to live enjoy the service Uh, Prior to beginning Atmosphere Church and launching Atmosphere Church last year, we were leading a life-giving, thriving church in Las Vegas, Nevada called Valley Bible Fellowship. And uh, now we call it Valley Vegas. And it was at that church that we were able to do some very unique ministries that are unique to the city of Las Vegas. And uh, that's how we met Annie. Would you guys give a big Conejo Valley welcome to Annie LoBear?
1: I thought that wealth would buy me things, success, fortune, and fame, but all it did is break my heart and drive me so insane. I came to Vegas just to see if true love could be found, the devil got his hold on me. And into sin was bound, then I OD'd that fateful day. I saw my savior's face, his blood is what has set me free. He died to give me grace. If you are in your darkest hour, so black. You cannot see. Reach up to him, and in his power, Jesus, he'll set you free. Thank you. That's my little song. So you got thanks, Pastor Jim. I'm so excited to be here right now because uh this was planned about a month ago, right? And unfortunately, my husband, he is not feeling good, but it's not the flu, so that's a good thing. But the other part of this is, some of you have been watching, maybe, if anyone knows who we are on social media, my husband's been facing a little bit of a challenge, he has a couple tumors in his brain, so uh, he's on this special medication, and it's very natural, you guys can figure it out, it's green, and uh, it's, it's actual oil that he has to take every night inside of his gums, and it's a very potent dose. He has five more days left, and he's done, he's been on it for about three months. And it's supposed to shrink tumors. It's called Rick Simpson Oil. So if you guys want to look it up later, it's really awesome. And I'm like very excited to be here because he was supposed to be with me. But as you know, sometimes we have to go solo, right? How many of you know my story? Some of you? Only a little bit. Yay, I love it. So uh, I met Pastor Jim. Pastor Jim, it was 2005, 2004, 2005. And I was actually on Facebook the other night and my title was kinda controversial. I put making a Jack A out of my butt myself, right? And some people got on my feet and I was like, what are you talking about? So this is what I did. I got really excited. When I was in Las Vegas, I got radically changed by the love of God and I went to the porn convention. And Valley Bible Church was there It's crazy, I was like, what are you guys doing at the porn convention, like, this is so weird. I mean, I was there to do outreach, right? There was a bunch of girls from the brothels working there and a a bunch of strip clubs that were being represented and that's my ex-industry, so I went there to talk to the girls and I saw this little booth and they were giving away popcorn and Bibles. So random, right? (laughs) And I'm just like, what is, like, I like this place, so I came to that church. That Sunday, and I was very, very blessed, and I got really excited, like I said earlier, and probably about maybe a half a year into it, maybe a year into going to Valley, I actually called Pastor Jim up and Pastor Doug and Vicki and said, I need a meeting with you, and they were like, okay, about what? I was like, "Uh, I just need to talk to you. So I got into their offices, and I said, you need to hire me at your church. Um, Yeah, because I wanna go in full-time ministry, now, how many of us know that God will call us, right? But how many of us know it's also in his timing, right? So they, they didn't know what to say. They, didn't, they were like, um, we're going to pray about it, but you know, we, we haven't heard that from God yet. So I tried to force what I knew God wanted me to do on someone else, and I had to wait. And I'm so glad I did because, first of all, sometimes we're not ready. We're just not mature enough. And I had a lot of things that God needed to work out inside me as a leader. And so I'm so happy that they were like, we have to pray about it. <laughs> well, we have an office actually in Valley Bible Fellowship uh, Church. It's Valley Vegas now, but Pastor Jim gave me keys to the, the church. And yeah, I might not be on staff, but I'm unpaid staff because we have our own nonprofit. And I've had this nonprofit since 2006, 2007. And we have a home for women if some of you don't realize this, that um, the same kind of woman that I used to be that are sex trafficked, that need to get rescued out of the industry. And so we bring them into our restoration home. It's 12 months to up to two years they can stay there. And before they leave, they get a job. And they've got a bunch of life skills that are taught them. And the main premise of our entire home is the healing process. And so many of these ladies that get trafficked have severe complex trauma. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that today and what happens in that and how 90 to 97% of addictions are caused by complex trauma. And some of you here might be struggling with addictions or you've struggled or you know someone in your family, and we all know that it hits our families really hard sometimes, right? Obiet addiction, right? Alcoholism, porn addiction, whatever it was, or gambling, whatever it is, its Sometimes is caused by complex trauma, and if some of these psychologists and doctors could just get to the root of that, which for me, I just needed to be touched by the love of God. And again, it was it was an awesome uh, event when I overdosed when I I sang about it in my song. But at the same time, I was not ready to go out there and be normal again. God had to heal my heart. So. I wanted to just briefly share a little bit about my story today because I want to tie it into someone in the Bible that some of you might know, some of you might not know her, but I love her because she's one of my heroes. And she's mentioned actually as a hero of faith. And she's a mighty, she was a mighty woman of God. And actually, which is really, really cool, she is related to Jesus Christ. It's really a cool story. So I was born in Minnesota. Some of you probably can still hear my accent, especially if I say, I'm gonna go to the post office. They're like, whoa, where are you from Minnesota? Or if I say, oh, I'm gonna get a pop. Well, that's what we say when we're in Minnesota. We don't say soda, we say pop, right? And if, if my mom, if you were at my mom's house, she would say, oh, do you wanna have supper? You don't say dinner in Minnesota, you say supper. <laughs> Yeah, so I was raised in Minnesota. My daddy was in the Air Force when I was very little. He got unfortunately kicked out. He was drinking, and uh, unfortunately, he went to AA for about a year, which, by the way, I think AA is great. Celebrate Recovery is even better because Celebrate Recovery is a derivative of AA, but it's got the Jesus factor added to it, right? So my dad only went for a year, and how many of us know that when you don't really deal with that root issue, and you're an alcoholic, what happens to your life? Either you're a dry drunk that's really, 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 really angry like my father was, or you become a full-blown addict within a couple months or a day or two or a couple years. You fall off the wagon. So my daddy, what I didn't know it at the time, but my dad was dealing with a lot of, and I look back now and it, it just blows my mind. He was dealing with complex trauma. When I look up the symptoms, I've been studying it for about a year and a half, almost two years now, and I read the symptoms of complex trauma. And if if some of you don't know what trauma and the the difference between PTSD is and trauma, complex trauma, and this is what it is. PTSD is a one-time event. Let's say it's a tornado. Maybe a relative of yours died. Your best friend died. You witnessed a car accident and someone got radically hurt. Right? Maybe your your house got robbed. Uh, Maybe lightning struck your neighbor's house and it burnt out, and you know. So it's an event like that. But complex trauma is a series of events repetitively done over and over and over, and in a way that harms someone. So, for example, someone that comes from war, that was a prisoner of war in another country they can develop complex trauma because they're under constant dangerous duress, right? So another good example, which is totally opposite, it's a young child in a home where there's violence and you're walking on eggshells and you don't know left or right, up or down because you're afraid at any moment you're going to get screamed at, you're going to get hit or in a, a home where you're being, you're a foster child, you're being sexually abused by the help, you're being sexually abused by the babysitters, or maybe you're just in a home where your babysitter is the sexual abuser and you're, you're deathly afraid of them. And so you're, you're in this constant state of high danger alert. Any type of domestic violence, if ladies or even men, sometimes it happens to men too, if you've ever been in a relationship where a man has been violent with you, or has played mind games. Now, complex trauma can happen actually without physical touching and abuse and hitting. It could just be emotional and mental. They're like gaslighting you. Does anyone know what that means? So it's being around toxic people that are very abusive and you cannot escape the abuse. So when I look back at my life, this is what I grew up in. It's like my daddy was so abusive, but I loved him, but I was definitely afraid of him. And so do you know what a complex trauma actually does to, you, to us? It causes ADHD. Wow, things are connecting now, aren't they? ADHD, right? Major depressive disorder. It causes bipolar, promiscuous behavior, drug behavior, addictive behaviors borderline personality disorder, schizophrenia. One of the doctors that I was studying that was talking about complex trauma said this. He said that if the DMS-5, which is the psychology standard, does anyone know anything about psychology? Some of you do. It's a book about this thick, all the psychologists get it. You have to read it, you have to write reports on it if you wanna become a mental health uh, practitioner or psychologist. He said that that manual would only be about this big because complex trauma and the subsets of complex trauma causes so many mental problems. So if you can just imagine, my father grew up in an abusive home like I did. His, my grandfather was abusing him. My, he was hardly there. By the way, complex trauma can also be caused by abandonment. If your parent wasn't there, you feel abandoned inside and your brain is thinking nobody loves me, So you grow up thinking, you know, I've got to be accepted by everyone. Everyone, I feel like everyone's rejecting me. And really, it's just that abandonment issue inside your heart. So my daddy only was with my grandfather half of his life because my grandfather was off drinking. My grandmother kicked him out half of his life. So my dad barely got to see my grandfather. And so when I look back now and I see everything in a better perspective, the compassion for my daddy just like has gone up to the roof. And I've been telling my mom these things lately and saying, you know, dad had complex trauma, mom. She's like, well, how do you know that? I said, he had all the symptoms. He was actually, oh, another thing that causes dyslexia. My dad was dyslexic. He had learning disorders. But yet, any job that my dad got at any uh, company he worked for, he became the top supervisor. He was very smart. And that's another thing about complex trauma is that when... Uh, people actually experience this. Some people will become very smart because they're hyper-focused, their attention on something that they know they're good at because it makes them feel better inside. Does that make sense? So with me growing up, I was just like all over the place. At school, it wasn't really important to me. I got kind of okay grades, but I was always goofing off. I was the class clown. I was promiscuous growing up. I was sexually abused by a neighbor for a couple years. That really affected me. Plus, I have my dad yelling at us at home. He's hitting us. He's hitting my mom in front of me. And I'm thinking to myself, I hate my life. So I start drinking at a young age. Can you show that young picture of me as a little girl? I am the little girl with the uh, white tights on. There's my daddy. There's us during Christmas. That's my sister and my two brothers. My sister, unfortunately, passed away when I was 26. She had Marfan syndrome. Um, But... So there's my daddy and we're, you know, forced to take a picture with him even though we look kinda happy. My little brother Chuck in the blue there, he, he was always mad at my dad, so you see the look on his face. But my dad passed away in 2016 and I know he is in heaven because before he passed away, one of his uh, chaplains where he was staying gave him uh, like one of those large Bibles with large prints and he was, he was reading the Bible to me when I last saw him like it was about a month before he died. And when I was on the phone with him about 10 days before he died, we prayed together, and he goes, you know, Annie, I feel like Jesus is, he's like right at my door, like he's asking me to come see him, and I feel like I'm gonna die. And I said, Dad, I said, he's talking to you. And he said, dear Jesus, and he's praying to Jesus, so I know my daddy's in heaven. So you know, God gave him the rest that he needed, and now he's with our Savior, which is awesome, right? So anyway, I started getting really rebellious. You can show the next picture of me. Um, this picture is kind of risque. I was, uh, this was my first apartment. This is right after I learned how to sell myself in Hawaii. And that was one of my roommates. We were playing music together. That's why you see the keyboard thing on the wall. And him and I used to smoke joints just for like relaxation. You know how you do when you're using and you're just like trying to get away from everything. So prior to this, I had this boy in school break my heart. And I started to go out to uh, all the parties and get drunk and smoke with my friends, smoke pot and whatever. And we never did the hardcore drugs, just pot and beer. And then by the time I left high school, I had three jobs. I was like totally a workaholic. One other thing that complex trauma survivors do is they work a lot because we feel like our work gives us value. So I'm at work and I'm like, I got to make money for college. I got to go to college. Nowadays, you don't even need a college education to get a good job and become an entrepreneur because of the social media, right? But back then, you needed to get a college education. So I ended up going to uh, the nightclubs and I met these two guys, me and my friend, and unfortunately, we did not know it at the time, but they were sex traffickers. They had fur coats on. I mean, like I know that sounds like well Annie, you should have known. I mean, but we're in Minnesota. Minnesota you wear fur coats sometimes. Now nowadays you might not and it might be fake because there's that PETA group that get all they get all mad at you and throw paint at you now. But back then that wasn't the case. It was the eighties and it was like lights are on, you know, and it's like Woo! It was like Robert Palmer days, Prince, Madonna. I'm going to age myself Striper. You know, it's like these bands were coming out of the woodwork, these 80s bands. Great music, by the way. I mean, I just remember music being a lot different now uh, or different then than it is now. Now everybody, and I'm not putting any of it because there's good new artists now, but a lot of them copy each other. (laughs) They sample the music. It's just crazy. So um, we were out, and they bought us drinks. And then my girlfriend and I start to talk to them, and they're like, "Oh yeah, we own real estate, and you know we have a Benz out in the back parking lot in a Volvo." And I was like, Oh, I want to see your car." So then they bring us to the back parking lot, and they show us the drop top Benz. Now, don't show me a car like that; and not make me want that car. Pearl white, dipped in gold, and in the '80s, that was the the rave. Okay, like. It was like, whoa, where'd you get that car? And my girlfriend's like, oh my gosh, these guys are wealthy. I'm like, I know, get get the guy's money. So she goes to Hawaii and he turned her out. Now, if you don't know what that means, it's where a pimp or a trafficker teaches someone else how to sell themselves for money sexually. So she calls me up from Hawaii, probably about a week or two later, and says, hey, come to Hawaii, I'm on the beach, I'm in a drop-top Corvette, it's yellow, it's weird, right? Yellow, color striper. And uh, I got, I'm on the cell phone, I'm just like, whoa, wait a second, cell phone, what? Back then it was $5 a minute, you guys. Listen, these little toys we got here, these are toys, right? <laughs> this is our computer. We, don't have, we didn't have plans back then. They, it was 5 bucks a minute, okay? And the phone was as big as this book. Hello. I'm not kidding you. It would, it would burn your hand. It was get so hot. So we ended up, um, she ended up calling me and telling me to come to Hawaii. I go there. I learn how to sell myself. I come back to Minnesota, no pimp, nothing, quit all three of my jobs, start working strip clubs. And I met this guy at the strip club probably about six months into it. And listen, you guys will have to get my book for the rest of the juicy part of the story. So I'm just gonna end that part here about what happened between him and I, but let's just say I had no idea. My name was Fallon. That's why this book's called Fallon. That was my working name. You do not use your real name when you're in the sex industry. You use a fake name because you do not want your relatives or your friends to know who you are and what you're doing. So it was perfect for me. I'm in another state. I'm gonna name myself something else. And I moved from Minnesota to Las Vegas, because my girlfriend, which is very common with traffickers, they had houses all over the country. They had a house in Baltimore, Chicago, Minneapolis, Los Angeles, Las Vegas, Hawaii. So we moved to Las Vegas, and I thought it was like gonna be a three to six month gig. I was like, I brought my boyfriend, the one I met at the strip club, the one I fell in love with, and he was like my Romeo because I was a Disney chick. Because you know what, ladies? Frankly, we just love fairy tales, don't we? Don't we? Don't lie, we do. And men, you love them too because you can become the hero in them, right? <laughs> Except if it's uh, that uh, movie called Frozen. So anyway. <laughs> Which, by the way, the art, the actual original author of that actual story is a Christian man. If you guys ever look it up later, you'll see. The story's actually based on Christianity. So, um, yeah, so men love it too because you can become our Romeo, right? And so... That what was happened. I fell in love with this guy. I brought him with me to Las Vegas, and the first night I worked, he beat me. Now, here's what doesn't make sense is I seem pretty smart and intelligent, right? You know, got it together a little bit, a little bit. And uh, you wouldn't think somebody like me would allow a man to take advantage of me like that, but you have to remember something. Your brain's hardwired for what you see when you're a child. So guess what I saw when I was growing up? Shut up. You, you FNB. Now, I'm just going to fill in the, we don't need, we're in church right now. We don't need to swear. But let me tell you something. That's what I remember. It doesn't mean that I wanted that in my life, but for some reason, we are attracted to people that have the same kind of personalities, the ones that we wanted affirmation from. So any man that was tough, that was kind of like a little bit hidden with his personality and a little bit bold, like my father, I was attracted to That was my pimp, and I had no idea he was gonna hit me, and he was gonna beat me, but guess what? You know, you fall into it, and then, I ended up staying with him for five years, and then I got with another man that was just abusive, and again, you have to get the book, because there's way too much to tell, and Pastor Jim knows my story, how long the story actually is. We could sit here for days. (laughs) So, the good news is this, is that, guess what? I got away eventually. A decade of trafficking. If you can show that picture with the red dress. I had to edit this last night because it was a little risque. That was me at Sharks Nightclub in Las Vegas with one of my girlfriends. And that was in my height of trafficking. Now, do I look the same? Hopefully not. (laughs) Hopefully not. (laughs) But that was me just thinking I was all that in a bag of chippies with my long hair. And all the men are looking at me and I'm just so special. See, sometimes, ladies and gentlemen, listen to this. You'll see a girl dressed like that. You'll see a girl on Instagram, half naked, whatever. You'll see girls out there in the nightclubs, whatever, walking in the mall, half naked. And you don't know the story behind their story. You don't know what they're going through. How do we know that they're not looking for love? And their way of love is to show some flesh because they feel important when they do that because they're broken inside and they have complex trauma possibility, right? Look at Marilyn Monroe. They say that she was a foster child, went from home to home to home, was sexually abused more times than she can count. She had a, they had something called histronic personality, which is part of complex trauma, and it means an oversexualized personality, and that was me. I relate to her so well. I love that. I hope she's in heaven. But anyway. Um, I ended up getting away, and of course, you heard my little song. I overdosed on cocaine one night, August 2nd, 2003. Thank you, Jesus. I had a church background. I was raised in Lutheranism, and uh, I knew who Jesus was, but I just didn't have faith in him, and I didn't believe in him. And there was someone else in the Bible that came to the end of their ropes named Rahab. And she's very inspiring to me because... She was a woman that was running a brothel. Like in Las Vegas, we have brothels, right? Not in Vegas, but outside of Clark County there's, there's legalized brothels. I think there's 23 of them. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. And it's legalized sex for sale. And if you guys don't know what trafficking is, here's the definition. Sex trafficking is human trafficking for the purposes of sexual exploitation, including sex slavery. A victim is forced, in one of a variety of ways, into a situation of dependency on their trafficker and then used by the said trafficker to give sexual services to customers. And by the way, they don't get to keep the money. They take everything. They control you. They manipulate you. You guys, I want you later to do me a big favor and do some homework for yourself. I want you to Google sex trafficking wheel. And when you read that wheel, you're going to be shocked. Everything in that wheel happened to me except for the language barrier. Everything. And so to get away from a trafficker, you'll lose your life, basically. If they know you're leaving, they will, they will find you. They will hunt you down. It's just like the mafia. So there was these two amazing men of God in the Bible that were the generals after Moses died. And does anyone know the story of Moses? And the million and a half Israelites that came out of Egypt? So we're gonna base this the rest of my little lesson on this story. So the Israelites were already in the desert for 40 years. They were wandering around, lost. Apparently not, but lost, because they weren't submitting to God. And finally at the end, Moses, he was gonna go in the Promised Land, but God did not let him, so he died right before they crossed over. And when they crossed over, God told them, get, I'm gonna give you Jericho. And there was this town, which they have runes, by the way, that was a Canaanite town. They said they worshiped the moon god there. And there was a woman that lived there named, named Rahab. And she lived inside the wall, and it was an inn, and there was three different places that people would come to through Jericho to get to the promised land. So it was a hub for activity, and it was like a hotel inn, so to speak, and so they could see all these different men and travelers walking by their inn, and of course, why wouldn't you sell sex of it's a hot spot, right? So that's what she did. She was a prostitute. It's really, really amazing. So it says, the first scripture I want to share with you really quickly is, then Joshua, Joshua 2, 1... The son of Nun sent two men a spies secretly for Shittim saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came into the house of a harlot, ooh, whose name was Rahab, and lodged there. Now, wow, wow, and lodged there. This is where I had to stop in the scriptures and go, wait a second. I, now, wait, now, what are these guys doing? Because first of all, um, they could have went somewhere else in that town probably. They didn't have to go to Rahab's house. But these guys were spies. Remember, these guys were spies. They needed to be incognito. Now, how did anyone know who they were? Because supposedly, the king came, in the scriptures it says, knocked on the door and said, uh, you have two spies from Israel? Where are they at? And you know, she was like, I, what? I don't know what you're talking about. And this was what everyone calls the Rahab lie. So she they, she put them on top of the house and hid them under some flax, which is one of the things, and things that she crafted. I went and looked at this before, and she actually... Uh, it's a possibility that the rope that she laid out on her window was made of flax and it was red right so these guys she hides she hides them and the thing about Rahab is this and I so relate to her first of all prostitute right second of all why did she want to hide these spies okay let's go back into the scripture and, and read this is what she said to the men after she told the king go away they're not here, go up the road, they're there about five miles, so left, take a right, take a left, then go down the the cat the cave, and then go out of the cave, and the, whatever, so right. It says, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you. You, when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed, and when we heard it, our hearts melted. No courage remained in any man no longer because of you. For the Lord your God, this is is my favorite part of what she says, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Okay, so she just swore her faith. She just declared God was God, who He said He was and what He did. That was her state, statement of salvation. Okay? Then she says, now, therefore, please to me by the Lord, since I have dealt kindly with you, that you also will deal kindly with me, my father's household, and give me a pledge of truth, and spare my father, and my mother, and my brothers, and my sisters with all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. Because she heard that they were going to come and take care of things. They were going to take those walls down and sack that whole city and destroy everybody and not take any prisoners. So Rahab had a faith And I want to just share a couple points with you quickly. She must have been at the end of her rope. She had to be. Kind of goes with the scriptures, right? Because I can't imagine how long she was in that situation. Now, if I look at my life and I see and I look at her life and I parallel, what was she thinking? What was she doing? How was she feeling? Was she being trafficked by that king? How do we know she wasn't? Was he taking all the funds? Was the city mafia taking all the funds? Who was controlling her? Why was she so afraid of him? Why? Because it's a very high possibility from the brothel work that I work with and the girls I work with on the strip, there's a 90 some percent chance she was being sex trafficked and she was the head house mother. And she decided, I'm done and I can't take it. I can't take it. And you know, God met me right where I was. Nobody preached to me. He talked to me in my heart when I OD'd on on that floor. He met me right where I was at because I was done. And I wanted to get out of it. So that's something really to consider, right? Are we ever in a rock and a hard place? Are you in a rock and a hard place today? She was. That's what I think. This is my personal opinion, by the way. But if you look, my personal life And where where I've walked in my life and all the women I work with and all the stats that I've read and all the people that I've met over the past 15 years in ministry, this is the scenario, trafficked. You can't have prostitution without trafficking. Sorry, you guys. Doesn't work like that. Somebody's going to control. Someone's going to abuse. Someone's going to take advantage and coerce. Number two, she heard the God of Israel that he saved the slaves. Was she a slave? Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow, who, what God is this that saves slaves? I'm a slave. Is he the only God that can save me? Because these other gods, they're worshiping the moon God and this Ishtar and everyone else. They're not saving me. I'm stuck in this brothel right here. And I'm stuck with 20 men a night. So guess what? I believe she was thinking, wow, he, he can save a slave like me. She wanted her freedom. And then number three, she took a risk that paid off. She lied, yes. She risked her life. But she stepped out in faith because she was done. And sometimes that's what we have to do. I don't know who I'm speaking to here today. But guess what? You know, faith. It says in Hebrews 11:1, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, for the conviction of things not seen. She might not have seen her freedom, but she knew it was coming. She knew that she knew it was coming. Otherwise, she wouldn't have said what she said to the spies. Right? Amen? Then, I like this part, the lies under duress. Here's why I believe that she was justified even if she lied. Because when you are a victim of trafficking or if you're under duress where your life is at stake, you have to lie in a situation that she was in. Now, I'm not saying that for everyone, for every situation, but in her particular situation, for her to get out of where she wasn't to save her family, she had to tell a little white lie to the king. She risked her whole family by lying to these, the king and his army, right? So the last thing that I wanted to share was her story is a redemption of the lineage of Jesus and what he died for. Because Jesus died for our sins and he took his life and gave his life for everyone here, right? And that she did not have to do defined by her past. Do you know that Rahab was totally embraced by Israel, the Israelite people? It says she lived with them the rest of her life. She married one of the spies, they think. This is one of the scholars think. Shalom. <laughs> Woo, little... That's a good movie right there. Hey, baby, what you doing? Hey, I'm just gonna, uh, you know, I'm just trying to uh, shut the brothel down. Anyway, I'll hide you over here. Um, you're kind of hot. You know, it's like, whoo. <laughs> so, and then guess what? So their child, who was their child? Does anyone know the history of the Bible? Boaz. And Boaz married a Canaanite woman. Where did he get the grace to do that? Did his mama teach him because she was a Canaanite? Huge possibility. He honored his mom's legacy and what his mom did because his mom was a hero. She saved lives. And the other thing about Rahab is, is she was willing to save her family, but not only that, the spies, because she knew that if she did this, her whole life would change and she would become free. And she was not worried about her reputation. Some of you are worried about your reputation. You, you want to know what you guys? Let me tell you something. Jesus didn't care about his reputation either. And that's one thing that I've learned over, over the years doing ministry because some people don't like her name. By the way, it's based on Matthew 4.19. I will teach you how to fish for people. Matthew 4.19 states, and the first four fishermen were disciples of Jesus. Did you know that? So... I have had to deal with a lot of people judging me. In fact, on my feed on Facebook right now, the latest live I did, I have guys asking me how much. Get on my knees. I'm just like, you know what? God, you got this. Because guess what? It just shows me that people need grace, but also our culture needs to change. And the only way it's gonna change is if someone like me has a voice. By the way, Rahab had a voice. She might not have talked about her past to everybody. We don't know what happened in Israel when she got into the, when she was with the, the, married the spy and everything. But I do know this her faith spoke volumes. All she had to do was live her life according to the way God wanted her to live it. And everything changed. And everybody was watching her. You think the Israelites didn't know about her past? Please, okay? She wasn't Jewish, you guys. She was a Canaanite woman brought into the fold. You think they're, well, who's that? Ooh, she likes to wear red. Hmm, where's she from? You know what I mean? Like, for sure, she probably felt judged, but she had her covering. Her covering was her husband and God, right? She was unselfish and she wanted to save the spies and her family. The last thing, I didn't get to share every scripture, but show my redemption picture, please. Yep, that's me a little bit cleaned up, put some nice clothes on, curl my hair a little bit. And then my husband, please, thank you. Ozzy Bear. There's my my prince. So the story of Oz, really quick and then I'm gonna end. I met Oz on Myspace. And uh, I know, it sounds so weird, right? Um, Well, I mean, like Myspace was a hot item back in the 90s. Or I should say that. Wait, wait. Yeah, the 2000s. Yeah. So I met him, and uh, it was so weird because he he inboxed me and goes, "Hey, uh, you want to be my friend?" I was like, "You're a musician? Like, yeah, right." So I met him actually through Kevin Max of DC Talk, and uh, we we laugh about it all the time whenever we see Kevin. We 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 eat and we have we laugh and we we think it's the greatest story ever, but. Oz has been a wonderful man of God. He's in a band called Striper. Some of you might know who they are, and unfortunately he couldn't be here today. We talked about that earlier, but he has been my Boaz. He has been the most honoring human being, besides Jesus, that I've ever met in my life. I love him very, very much. And uh, just pray for us, because we're going through a trial right now, but you know what? We trust God, right? And you know what, ladies? I just want you to know, if you ever felt like you were judged for your past. Even some of you men, I'll say it to you too. You can walk down the aisle like I did in a white gown. Because once you're in Jesus, you're a brand new creation in Christ. And no devil in hell can stop the call of God on your life. Amen? Amen. All right, you guys, thank you very much.
0: Hey, thank you for tuning in today to another message from Atmosphere Church. If this message has spoken to your heart, would you take a moment and share it with your friends? You can connect with us on YouTube, iTunes podcast, Facebook, Twitter, and even on Instagram. Simply do a search for Atmosphere Church through these various platforms and click either the follow or subscribe buttons. It's another great way for us to be able to stay connected with you. And until next time, we pray you'll keep the faith, spread the hope, and live the love. God bless you.